resources to navigate through infidelity. There are many resources on the internet that can help a betrayed spouse cope with infidelity. Depending on the type of affair, life experience, and the response of the unfaithful, every person can find a unique route to peace. In my case, I was hoping I could work with Mark on giving our marriage a chance. I was open to the possibility of reconciliation from the beginning, in spite of my preconceived idea to move out of our family home. Some resources that resonated with me and helped me navigate the turbulent waters created by my husband's choices were Esther Perel's take on infidelity, Tony Robbins' technique for improving relationships, affairrecovery.com, Twitter, comedy, and Pilates. Esther Perel. I found encouragement in Esther Perel's approach of giving yourself a chance with your ex-cheating husband. Esther Perel is a relationship expert who has coined a hopeful sentence that helped me very much. Your first marriage is over after infidelity. Would you like to create a second one together? This is her closing sentence in her TED talk about infidelity that has over 8.6 million views. Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins is an author and a motivational speaker who works with the method of the six human needs and how they affect our relationships. It is important to identify your top two needs and how you feel they are fulfilled by your partner and how, how much you contribute to fulfilling theirs. There are several couple therapies on YouTube where you can appreciate how this works. He also uses the technique of breathing into your heart. You place your hand on your heart, close your eyes, visualize the air you breathe in going to your heart. You do that for a few minutes until the fog from your negative thoughts disappears and you can align with what you really want, with your intuition. Tony explains how negative emotions like anger or disappointment can make the brain create messages of rejection towards your spouse and blur your true feelings. When you place your hand over your heart and breathe for a few seconds, the brain tunes in with the heart and you are able to understand your true desires. Affair Recovery. There is a website, affairrecovery.com, with many resources to guide you step-by-step step in recovering from the heartbreak caused by infidelity. I watched many of their videos, subscribed to their newsletter, and did the first steps bootcamp for surviving infidelity. It is free and you can do it at your own pace, solo or with your spouse. From their vlogs, I understood many of the behaviors Mark and I were experiencing. They explained topics like limerence, narcissism, trauma, and recovery. Twitter and real life friends. Infidelity hurts so much that you need as much help as you can get to sail through it. As soon as I discovered Mark's infidelity, I confided on my three friends, Martha, Mary, and Emily. I also had Frida who kept checking on me regularly. Their support was key to my recovery. They were empaths and kept me company when I most needed it. While Mark and I were separated, they supported us both. When I tilted towards getting back together with Mark, they supported us even more. 
It's like they were on standby to make sure I would not get hurt if I fell. There are a few messages that have remained as reference points in my mind from the days that followed the discovery of Mark's affair. From Mary, once the affair is over, turn the page and start fresh. From Martha, remaining with your husband means keeping your family together. From Emily, listen to your heart and do what brings you peace. From Frida, Find a counselor who will help you see things clearly. Starting from a blank page is a very difficult challenge. Images of the affair keep hunting you many months after discovery day. I used the image of my friend Mary moving her hands over the table as if she was turning a page and starting from the top of a new page. This visualization exercise helped me look at the current actions of Mark instead of remaining on the previous page of his betrayal. Martha highlighted a positive if I decided to forgive Mark, provided he wanted to do the work. Three years after her divorce, she was still mourning the family of four they could have been if things would have worked out for her and her husband. Seeing her longing for what it was no more was an eye-opener for me. Emily's advice of listening to my own feelings was easier said than done. I used Tony Robbins' technique of breathing into my heart to get in touch with my feelings without all the noise from my brain. It would be like a yo-yo at the beginning, with me going from being sure I want it back and then hating the idea of submission. After a few months, I felt that my obsession with the affair and the steps that were following in my recovery were too much of a burden for my friends to bear. So I created a fake Twitter account exclusively to treat this topic of infidelity. It was the perfect place to find solace when I had no one else to turn to. Comedy and Pilates. Another lifesaver for me was a stand-up comedy weekly show that kept taking me back in time to happier moments of my youth. I didn't miss a single Tuesday morning listening to the comedian, reminiscing about the years when we were all school children or high school teens. It was a perfect way to escape my reality and so therapeutical. I could disconnect from my misery by listening while I engaged on my apartment hunt or did some mechanical house chore like washing dishes. I had started Pilates regularly at the end of 2017 as a means to self-love. It was the rope I held on onto while I was going through the suspicion, the discovery and the separation. During the 60 minutes of practice, I was giving my total attention to myself. I was getting stronger and healthier. Only once did I feel my eyes about to burst into tears. The change of exercise immediately brought my thoughts back to the here and now. Pilates was an excellent tool for practicing mindfulness. I had to be 100% present so that the springs of the reformer wouldn't knock me down. What I couldn't foresee before the separation. When I moved out of the house and separated from Mark, 
I was faced with challenges I hadn't foreseen regarding our home and parenting alone. Our home. The place where we had lived most of our married life had become our home, whether I liked it or not. Even if I didn't agree on the neighborhood where we ended up building our house, I had adjusted it to our particular needs during the 20 years we had lived in it together. That bookshelf at the perfect spot, the combination of side tables in the bedrooms and the distribution of the furniture in the living room. With time, I developed connectedness with all the objects in the house. After 22 years of marriage, even when I wanted to make a statement by leaving the area where we were living because it, it had been Mark's choice, it was still painful to vacate the place I had made my home. It was very aggravating that I was moving myself out in response to a choice I didn't make. Parenting alone. I didn't realize I was going to have to take more care of the children after the separation. It was not just me separating from my unfaithful husband. I took my children away from their home, their routine, and their familiar environment. All they knew was life under mom and dad together. Now they had to share their time, their clothes, and carry their essentials, aka PS and other electronics, from mom's place to dad's place. As a parent, it is heartbreaking to see your children suffer in silence. Mine were 19, 16, and almost 9 at the time, and they didn't complain about the changes. They were aware of the infidelity and didn't want to add to the burden. I found myself putting extra energy to make sure I compensated for the trouble I felt I was putting them through. It was my decision to get a place away from what they had known as their home since the day they were born. Mark's attitude. Mark remained firm on his attitude to make things right since the night of the discovery. I dismissed this phrase many times because he couldn't change what he had done. He had destroyed my trust in him and broken my heart into a million pieces. He wasn't talking about it with a net of trusted friends like I was. He would pretend at work that all was well. He had his own way to cope with the recovery. He kept pursuing me and stood up against selling our home. With time, he joined me on doing the First Steps Bootcamp for Surviving Infidelity from AffairRecovery.com. It was clear then that, that we both had to do the work, some of it together and also individually. Feelings right after D-Day. One of the first hurdles to overcome during the recovery process is for the betrayed spouse to accept that in order to get better, to feel more in peace and to see the light at the end of the tunnel, the aggravated part also has to make an effort. Timing probably explains the best why this is difficult to accept. Once the affair is disclosed, the betrayer feels relieved because the secrecy is over while the betrayed has just found out what had been going on behind their back. The end for one of the parts, it's only the beginning for the other. The most recently shattered party, AKA the betrayed partner, 
goes into post-trauma shock disorder, the same PTSD suffered by veterans of war. This explains how there is little possibility right after D-Day for the betrayed to control recurring thoughts about the affair and emotional flooding. The brain goes into a state of permanent attentiveness to the possibility of more betrayal. And one way to cope with this is to put the unfaithful to the test. There is also grief. Both the unfaithful and the betrayed spouse bounce from denial to anger to depression, to bargaining, to acceptance, in random patterns as they mourn their losses. Surpassing boundaries as a betrayed. In my case, apart from moving out of our home, my pain led me to seek compensation. I wanted to hurt the affair partner so badly. I felt that it was so unfair for her to carry on with her life as if nothing had happened while my children and I were going through so much pain. I exposed Mark and her to their boss, informing him about the affair. Exposing them to their boss. Below are the text messages I exchanged with the other woman, the affair partner, on September 25th, 2018 exactly 60 days after D-Day. Me, I'm telling your boss about your affair with my then husband, affair partner. Valentina, please, let's talk. This is going to affect our finances. Can we meet to discuss before you do anything? And I am really sorry if this matters at all. We will both lose our jobs and this will affect our kids, yours and mine. I couldn't believe she had brought up finances as her strongest argument to prevent me from spilling the beans to her boss, the owner of the hotel where both she and Mark worked. Me. I'm willing to be poor. You are a bitch. Affair partner. They do not need to suffer. Now she was using our children's suffering as a persuasive tool. Mine were already suffering. Hers could be deprived of their mother if their father found out. Me. You should have thought about your kids when you were fucking him. Kids will learn a lot about consequences and accountability. Money is not all. Affair partner. They are young kids. They cannot learn that. Her kids were only five then. Twins. Boy and girl. Me. Exactly. Affair partner, please, let's talk first. Me, you didn't think about them, obviously, when you did what you did, day in, day out, for years. Affair partner, you are right, I am a horrible person, but the kids are innocent, they are very little. Please, let's meet first. I was starting to feel better now. I felt I was in control. She had written please twice. Me, I'm informing the hotel owner as soon as I get hold of his number, around noon. Affair partner, and if you think I don't suffer for, I, for what I did, you are wrong. She was finally showing her human side, changing tactics. Me, you can marry your passionate baby and live happily ever after, if your husband doesn't kill both of you first. 
I was using information I gathered from the recording two months earlier. I had listened to it maybe twice or thrice, but the way they called each other baby had not ceased to echo in my mind after all these days. I couldn't reconcile it with how I heard her calling her husband honey when we were guests at their home the previous summer. I now knew that her affair with Mark was at its peak then. How could she have played pretend so well? Affair partner. I don't want to marry anyone. I never did want this, neither your husband. It was just a foolish thing. I don't want him. Me, you never wanted. You said you needed him. You went to paradise in bed with him. Affair partner. I didn't go to bed with him. I never went to bed with him. Me, you can come and live in his beloved neighborhood. I heard you, you were in bed. Sleepy mode, you said. Affair partner. Valentina, please. I don't want your house. I don't want your husband. I am really sorry. It was a foolish thing. What they were doing was foolish. And she didn't want my husband. I continued stating facts. Me. You licked his dick. He put his finger in you. You had unprotected sex. Are you pregnant with his child? Foolish? Day in, day out? Risking your families for months and months? He was having sex three times a week with me in bed, trying to cover up. You and him used your spouses as cover-ups. You are beyond horrible. Affair partner. Valentina, we were not having sex. I am horrible. You are right. Do you want to meet in person? She insisted on meeting. She had a purpose. I stopped texting for a while until I got her boss number. I informed the hotel owner that his marketing manager was having an affair with his general manager. He was polite enough to respond and ensure me he would be discreet about it. He also encouraged me to work it out with Mark since we had such a beautiful family. In the meantime, Mark was sending me messages too. He didn't want me to tell his boss. I wanted to go down the drain and take them with me. When Mark realized that he could not do anything to stop me, he talked to his boss himself and told him that I wanted to communicate him about the affair. He gave his version and I gave mine. I ended my conversation with the other woman, the affair partner, with this text. I have nothing else to add. Your boss has been informed. There was no reply. She seemed so scared that I felt somehow vindicated. I knew I had surpassed the boundaries that affairrecovery.com recommends for safety, but I couldn't help it. Only four weeks after moving out of our family home, I was still bleeding profusely. What are his reasons for insisting? The disclosure to the boss was a big breach of the safety net for the family. Contacting the affair partner is also a big no-no on affair recovery's list. 
Every time you go beyond the safety limits, you must do damage control. I apologized when I saw Mark in despair, begging me to stop doing things that would harm us as a family. I knew we were stuck together on certain issues, whether I liked it or not. I was desperately seeking answers to what Mark had done. It didn't make sense to me that he could break off his affair overnight, no questions asked, as he later told me they had agreed on. Yet, he had to wait for me to catch them red-handed. To me, if he wasn't in love with her, he should have stopped the affair when I became suspicious and confronted him. I needed to let go of him completely to feel peace. I had already moved out of the house. I had sent the other woman a message telling her she could marry him. I exposed the affair to their boss. I was pushing him away because I needed to know how far they could go with their relationship. I had felt appalled by the selfishness of his decision to start and carry on with the affair for so long. All the gaslighting had been a killer to me. I could only interpret his changing behavior as another selfish act. To me, it appeared as he was doing it for himself and to an extent to protect the other woman. I couldn't come to terms with any other reasons. Mark remained firm on his purpose of making things work for us. Even though I kept doing things to hurt him in a desperate attempt to test his motives, I also remained loyal and supportive in other ways. My heart was broken and yet still bursting with love for Mark. The pain took the worst out of me. During a visit from my 19-year-old, I snapped to him how his grandfather, my dad, had been talking to his father, a disgusting man advising another disgusting guy. I wonder what good can come out of it. To that, my wise boy replied later when I was more calm. I didn't like what you said about grandpa and dad. Just because they did something disgusting, it doesn't mean they are disgusting. He was right. He was calm and I apologized. I kept moving from playing angel to playing devil. It was such an unstable period. I could go from taking care of the house with much love and dedication to angrily accusing my 16-year-old of being inconsiderate because he was bickering with his sister or calling my own father a dickhead just because he was a man who had cheated and I had him in front of me. I hated this side of me that I had never experienced before. I had always been a people pleaser, a bubbly woman who would focus on the positives of any situation. The bitterness that inundated my heart after Mark's betrayal was making me regret the moments I had to spend with the people I loved the most. My wound as the daughter of an unfaithful husband reopened. I bellowed at my 75-year-old father for something he did 35 years earlier. I remained cold towards my mother so that he the f her fear would not fog my already distorted sense of reality. I couldn't think of anything else but the betrayal. And it seemed to me that Mark and that other woman just carried on their lives as if nothing had happened.
thoughts and insecurities. I had moved into my own space. My children were suffering in silence and images of the recent past flooded my mind as they pleased. I thought of the times Mark and I sat at the same table with the other woman during work functions. Were they rubbing legs under the table? How could she be so cynical by being present knowing that I would be there? During the first 30 days after D-Day, any young man with a beard would remind me of the other woman's husband. No wonder he wasn't friendly to me the last time I saw him at his home. Even if he didn't know about the affair, his gut feeling probably kept warning him about Mark's presence in his house. Perhaps, unlike me, he did pick up on the connection between his wife and my husband. I kept asking Mark about these events from the past and about his feelings. Communication between us was very difficult. He would want to know what triggered me now, as if what he had done during the past months wasn't enough. He insisted on his mistake being history, and I was supposed to calm down and just look at his current behavior. This is too much to ask any betrayed spouse during the first year after D-Day. I sent him this message the day after I exposed him and that other woman to their boss in reply to what had triggered me now. My whole life is a trigger since the day I started looking for a place to move away from my home for something I didn't do. All the changes brought about by your long time affair, and I'm not talking about the period while you were sexually involved. It started four years ago with where you decided to put your heart, work, work, colleagues, career. I was getting the leftovers of the leftovers. Today, 60 days after D-Day, every time I feel inclined to go back to the possibility of us, I panic. I react angrily. I get stressed over the thought of going back to the helplessness of you plunging into work, 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 and whatever comes with it, and us just serving as a pretty frame whenever it is convenient. I feel more peace at the thought of being alone because I have control over myself but I cannot control what you do. That's why I ask for time, but you keep pushing it and I run away. I go back to remembering how all of this started. Hope this helps you understand how I feel. I'm being completely honest as I usually am. This is who I am and I cannot live otherwise. I haven't stopped loving you, but I must love myself more so that I don't go back to being the boring, frustrated woman I had become in my attempt to support you. He replied apologetically, stating that he was not pushing me to get over what had happened. He wrote, all I'm asking is a chance and some goodwill. Perhaps now you might think I do not deserve to go through this. If we don't talk and we just allow anger to overtake us and do other things, then we are both confining ourselves to a single path. I continued to question his motivation behind pursuing me. It was difficult for me to accept that he had no feelings for that other woman. He did admit to feeling like talking to her while at work, but that he would change his thoughts towards work-related stuff to respect the boundaries we had set. Looking back at the messages we exchanged those days, I can tell that he was investing all his energy in winning back my trust.
it was important for me to get answers to all the questions that hijacked my thoughts. Mark seemed to be replying honestly to most of them. The problem was that new answers led to more questions and to new accusations and the need to feel compensated again.